will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. Yeah. 
Amen. Are you guys thankful for that? You can take your seats. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us for worship in the Word. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to welcome you to our church and invite you to take a moment to fill the visitor card out that's in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it off in any one of our offering boxes, and one of our staff will reach out this week and just make sure that uh, you have all your questions answered and uh, that you were able to find what you were looking for here at Salem Heights. Well, this is week two of what we call Group Connect. We are getting ready to launch all of our small groups and discipleship ministry. You might have got one of these cards last week or even possibly this morning as you walked in. Gives you the opportunity to uh, sign up. We're asking you to form groups, and uh, we, we gave some information last week about that. If you need more information about what it looks like to be part of a small group or you need help finding a small group, you can ask anybody out at the tables out in the foyer after the service. Or if you're looking for a discipleship group, that's where you would find those as well. But this is the time of year where we're encouraging you to get signed up, to gather with other believers to, around God's words so that you can continue to grow in your relationship with Him. Well, I'm really excited to make a special announcement this morning. You know, in the life of our church, we've had uh, a few uh, additions to our staff over the years. It's not something that we do frequently, but when we do, it's a process. When we prayerfully consider uh, if someone is being led by the Lord to join our ministry team. And our elders several years ago identified a need in our church within our student ministries. Tim Saffields, as our current student ministries director, has been serving and serving faithfully and that ministry continues to grow. And so it became obvious that we needed to add another staff member to help with our student ministries. And so I'm happy to announce to you this morning that we have made a hire. His name is Justin Knoll, and he's gonna be helping out in student ministries overseeing our high school group. And we're really excited about this. It's been a journey to bring him to this point and to bring him here with his wife, Mackenzie. But we wanted to introduce you to, uh, to them this morning and we've created a little video for you to hear their story. So let's take a look at that. Hi, I'm Justin Knoll, and this is my wife, Mackenzie. And we're just so excited to be here to tell you a little bit about ourselves. So I grew up in church my whole life, um, but uh, came to Christ as a, as a six-year-old. My faith really became my own when I was 19, working out at a summer camp, and God really became like just so tangible, more, more of a depth of relationship with Him. My mom says I accepted the Lord when I was three, uh, but similar to Justin, uh, my faith with the Lord has been a progression and a, and a walk of me falling down and Him picking me back up. Yeah, so I worked out at Canyon View Camp in Silverton. Um, Rick Saffiels hired me, and I had no experience with anything ministry-related, and uh, everything started to shift when that happened. Um, served a few years at camp, and then the call of, hey, Justin, will you step into a different role? Will you be a, a director of the overnight camps at Canyon View? And I was like, uh, okay, sure, let's do this. When he got the call to formal ministry, um, it was intimidating and it was thrilling and uh, very humbling because it's not something that's done lightly ever. Um, to steward the, the souls of other people is a responsibility as well as a privilege. After that summer, it was like, I have to change everything. So I shifted my degree to Youth and Family Ministries and everything after that was just like, okay, the calling is real, I have to do this. 
So it was the the last summer we were at Canyon View. Um, we're looking at what was going to happen in the future, and things just weren't working out. Um, so we were living full time out there, and got told that we're going to need to find a new place to be. Um, and it was a crazy moment where God just said, "Wait." A couple weeks later, pastor at another church in town um, had said, "We're going to be praying for who's going to become our high school youth pastor." And it was in that moment the Holy Spirit affirmed, it's time for me to go ask if this is what I'm supposed to do. And that was met very quickly with just we need to sit down right away and we need to make something happen. And so a couple weeks later, I became a high school youth pastor here in town. And that was the beginning of a journey. Um, that was the beginning of a big change in life. The students that we got to work with, I had already had a relationship with since they were small. And so now getting to really push into the harder places that um, are exposed in high school was the most life-giving thing I've ever done. About a year ago, um, we were pregnant with our first baby, uh, Sayla Janae, and um, life was just shifting a lot. We, knew, we recognized that God was doing something, stirring something in us and um, really just felt like God was compelling us to change uh, course. And so God called me to ask questions of, Justin, you need to be mentored, you need to be challenged, you need to be encouraged, you need to be taking steps to become more of a leader than, than just staying stagnant. Pastor Tim, Pastor Pete ended up meeting with me and um, they had heard uh, the story of what had been going on in, in my past ministry experience and they just wanted to come alongside and encourage and support and pray through what God was going to do next and that started a really beautiful journey of saying God we trust you with everything whether that be finances whether that be our church home whether that be wherever we're supposed to go and I ended up quitting my job and stepping away for a season I had been raised up in, in the church that we got to first partner in ministry for, um, and so it was a more painful process um, because there was so much history and so much relationship, and it wasn't and it wasn't fake and it wasn't um, dishonest. So it was a crazy season in life, and we were really waiting on what God had for us, and God had put Psalm 27 on my heart, and um, it says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear?" The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? And that just gave so much confidence and peace, entering into a season with no expectations, no idea of what was gonna happen next. And that's when everything just kept on stair-stepping in a direction towards, Justin, come hang out at Salem Heights, come see what our staff is like, come interact with our leaders and see what it's like to work on this team. And um, it was just a, encouraging experience it was so clear that Tim and I had a connection so special we were just like it was like putting two people together that haven't interacted a ton but we just meshed in almost everything we talked about and so that affirmed a call but then also meeting with leadership and seeing man there's a future here there's an opportunity that God is going to use us and this church to do amazing things. Well, Salem Heights, we're so excited to be here serving alongside you, and we look forward to do, seeing what God's going to do next. 
So we are very excited to add Justin to our team and welcome him and his wife Mackenzie and their daughter Say here. And so uh, I would really just love to, to thank the Lord this morning for that gift because we get, like I said, we've been praying for years that not only would God bring somebody to, to our team to help us with this need, but someone who would work just beautifully with Tim. And we're really excited to see what God's going to use both of those men to do in the life of our student ministries. And so we wanted to let you guys know that as a church family and just ask you to thank the Lord this week for the, the gift of this edition. So wanted you guys to be aware of that. And uh, we've got so many things going on at church. We need to get back into worship now. And I'm really excited to say that next week, as we continue on in our ministry kickoff, we're going to have a special guest here with us to help us worship. His name is Russ Lee, and he's recorded a quick message to say hello for you this morning. Hey, Salem Heights Church family, this is Russ Lee, and I'm excited about joining you September the 12th for a great morning of worship. I'm asking God to move us and to meet with us there and to help us to leave that place full of joy and change for His glory. See you then. world will see God's grace when we work and we pray. Well, how are we doing this morning? Are we doing well? We, can we put our hands together? I'm so thankful that we've added Justin Knoll to our team, and, and uh, I know you'll get a chance to meet him here in future weeks. And then also with Russ Lee coming, we do have like several things happening this month, several guest worship leaders coming in as we celebrate kind of relaunching the church in many ways, amen? So let's have you stand, and we'll continue in worship now.
together for the Lord today. He is worthy of our praise, folks. He is worthy. Second Corinthians says this, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from ourselves. And we know because of this we can run to him at any time. I've carried a burden for too long on my own, and I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see it. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again.
Father, we run to you. Lord, we know these things are true. You sent your son. You gave us victory. You overcame fear and death, Lord, so that we might live in that, Father. You gave life to these jars of clay. You are the one that fills us, Lord. And so we can have hope when we struggle And when we are tempted to lose hope, Father, we can run to you over and over and over again because you made a way for us to be seated with you at the right hand of the Father with Christ, Lord. We thank you for that. I pray now that as we open your word, Lord, that we would find satisfaction in you alone and that all other things would fade as we look to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Man, aren't you thankful that we can uh, worship here this morning? <clears throat> I, uh, I want you to turn right away to John chapter 4. We're going to start a brand new series, and it should just flow out of the heart we just developed right now in our time in worship. The series that we're going to start is called The Satisfied Life, and we're not just going to do it during this opening uh, month as we're gathering back together, but throughout the year, we're going to check back in with this theme, the satisfied life. We're going to be looking at a passage that is probably well-worn in most of your Bibles, Um, but I I want to reflect on it just a a few, uh, I want you to take a new look at it because I want you to start with this question. The people that are around you If they were to just receive this poll question, insert your name in the poll question, does this person display a satisfied life? What would the people around you say? When folks are watching your life, do you look like you have just a wellspring of life coming out of you, that you are satisfied, that you are settled, that you are secure? In fact, let's uh, remove it from the people that are around you. Does your family, when they are looking at your life, do they say, man, that is a person that is satisfied and settled? Take the pressure off of your family. When you look at the person you are in the mirror, are you looking at somebody who at the very center of who they are is satisfied? Are you settled? When Christ makes an offer in this passage, he says that if you would believe in me, that, that, that there is something that will happen that will well up into eternal life, that there is a satisfaction that will happen in your life that can only come from Christ, and it'll be evident, it will spill out of you into the world around. It'll splash out of a satisfied soul. Are you that person? I want us to look at this passage today and ask that question, and and not just ask, am I that person? It's not a a chance for us to come away chastised, but I want you to see that that offer that he makes to this woman at the well is an offer that is made to you and I, and it literally is in responding to Christ that we best impact the world that is in desperate need of satisfaction. 
If you go to uh, Independence today, it's just a little town right on the other side of the river. Uh, somebody uh, took me on a walk over there, and I actually found something I hadn't seen before. Um, many of you know that in Independence, there's a, an old mill area there, and there was a creek that was running through town, and they actually had dammed up this creek back in the day and used it as a splash dam. It was a holding area for all the logs, so they would float these logs uh, up into that area, and then they would hold them there for the mill to be able to use, and it's no longer used in that fashion anymore. Uh, but the OSU extension has come in, and they've actually created a path that you can walk, and it is really spectacular. If you go and you find that little uh, gem of a walk there, it's about a, a quarter to a half mile walk that you can uh, go on. Um, they have all of these little pictures uh, that remind you of the history of the area. But then it actually has some interesting statements on it. It actually says, stop, look, take a picture. It says, walk on these things, touch these things, feel, pick these things. When's the last time you went on someplace that is uh, significant, and instead of them telling you to not walk, you actually were told, walk, touch, feel? That's a place you should go with your kids, right? It's actually telling you to pause along the way so that you can get the most from that interactive walk that's there. It's a really cool transformation that's happened in that little city. Why am I telling you this? I think that uh, we're going to look at a passage right now, and this is a well-trodden passage. You probably have marks in your Bible if you, uh, if you are prone to that, where you have significant moments or thoughts that are attached to what Jesus says to this woman. But I want us to walk through, and I'm just going to ask you to pause. Normally, when we read Scripture here, we stand uh, that goes all the way back to the time of Ezra when uh, the people had wandered far from God. They came back into the land. They knew they had left God because they weren't paying attention to his word. So from the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they stood. The only people that were uh, not standing were falling on their faith, faces in repentance. And so our church, in honor of the word of God, hoping that it will penetrate our heart and lead us to repentance, has stood in honor of the word. Uh, each time we read. But this morning, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, uh, and uh, if you're so blessed to have a paper Bible still, I want you to open that Bible. If not, I want you to get your electronic version of the Bible up and primed. If you don't have anything like that available, I want you to see it on the screens. I don't want you to get away from the Word this morning, okay? But I want you to be able to see this in here, and we're going to pause as we walk through this passage. I'm just going to ask you what you're thinking and I'm going to see if on that journey, the observations we are making might be a little different from the ones that God wanted us to make. And I'm hoping as our perception changes, we land at the end with a right principle of how it is that we can have a satisfied life. Let's look at John chapter 4. Starting with verse 1, it says this. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went straight to Galilee and he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Pause. What do you think about the place? 
God just took a lot of time to tell you where it's at, some notes about it. He's trying to trigger your thinking. This is a significant spot and a significant time of day. What do you think about it? Verse 7. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Well, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to come here and draw water. Go call your husband, he said, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one who's speaking to you, am he. Now just pause. In your mind, what do you think of the dialogue? Just register it. What do you think about the offer that Jesus made? And what do you think about this woman? Just log it in your mind. The dialogue, the offer, and the woman. Verse 27, then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want to her, or why are you talking with her to him? Then the woman left her water jar and went to town and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving his pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. 
For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Pause. What do you think about the disciples? Verse 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, you know, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. What do you think of that final scene? I want us to just uh, take a look at four different things here, and I think we're going to answer some of those questions, but I want us to go through, and I want you to register what it is that you actually thought about those different moments, and see if your conjecture actually changes as a little bit as we begin to walk through this passage. I want to highlight four things, but I want you also to investigate and see if maybe your mind doesn't change a little as well. The reason is, I think we focus sometimes on the wrong thing, and we miss the main point, and there's many that say they have put their faith in Christ that are not walking around with a satisfied and settled soul today. They're overwhelmed, and they do not need to be, okay? Let's look at this passage. The first thing I want you to notice in here that I think stands out has been brought up multiple times, but it is an important thing to see, and that is that Jesus meets you where you are. I just want you to, there's uh, some things that this woman is stuck with, okay? Jesus shouldn't be with her in this place. Seven different things that are wrong that should have precluded her from ever being in the presence of Jesus. She was in the wrong place. She is in Samaria. Jews, especially teachers, especially holy men, did not walk through that area. They did not go into Samaria. She is in a place here waiting for the Messiah because all of her other hopes have been dashed. Now, her men around her had actually told her this place was a place of significance, and they're not entirely wrong. Uh, this is the place there at Sychar where Abraham actually received the promise that in this area you will settle, you and your children. So he received the promise of the promised land at that location where they were having this discussion. Jacob, it was so significant to him when he was reminded of the promise, he goes all the way back to the terebinth trees that were there, and he builds an altar and worships again there, saying, I believe that God will cause us to be in this area. And he camped in that spot. It was the place where they received the promise and where they reviewed the promise. Moses, when he told the people, the children of Israel, to come into the land, he knew he wasn't going to be with them. So he goes, you go back to this location where that well is. You go back to that spot and you announce the law to them once again and have them all recommit. As we go into the land, we're going to follow God. And they come to this location to get their marching orders for God. Joshua, after they have now spread out in the land and they've received some of that promise, Joshua makes his famous, as for me and, the Lord, and my house we will serve the Lord, he makes that proclamation from this spot. But it was not Jerusalem and it was not the temple. This was not the holy place. This was a, a place that was significant historically. They had mistaken 
a historical prominence for ultimate prominence. I think people do the same today. She's in the wrong place, but also she's the wrong gender. If you were a Jewish male and a Jewish male teacher, you were not to make eye contact with another woman that was not your wife. Here she is in the heat of the day, a a woman that is alone. It would have been inappropriate for her to have a discussion, and yet there she is having a discussion with the Messiah. She has the wrong history. Remember what in your mind you were thinking about when you thought of her. We live in an enlightened age, right? But what were your thoughts of this woman who has had five husbands and is now living with somebody who is not her husband? Would your thoughts about her change at all if you knew that according to the law, which the men in Samaria still followed, a woman could not initiate divorce? She's not having five husbands and now is living with another because the implication is that she is a loose woman, not at all. She's been rejected time after time after time and is now out here alone with no other options. How do you meet somebody who has been rejected and it's written all over their life story. Wrong history, wrong time. It's the middle of the day. All of those who have families have already gathered their water. Only the outcasts would be at the well. She's the wrong race. If you know the story of the Samaritans, then you know that in 2 Kings and in Chronicles it's recorded that the king of Assyria, when he wanted to come in and dominate the people, he takes the northern kingdom away. But what he actually did was something that others had called a a brilliant ploy. He had gone to another continent and he took people and removed them from their historic home and they forced them to go into other locations He would then require those people from another place to mix races there so they would not be accepted back in their home and they would not be accepted in that country and so their only allegiance could be to him. And he starts that process in Samaria, bringing people from other places, forcing them to co-mingle their religion with Judaism and in that place, that unholy mixture in the minds of those Jewish holy men led them to be second-class citizens perpetually. You could not come into the temple. You couldn't enter even the court of the women. You couldn't call yourself a faithful follower if you were from that location. Not just the wrong gender, but the wrong race. I just want you to pause and think. Do you know that this happens historically and that even in our own country we have some of the discouragement that comes from rejecting people with a different background, from a different culture, and a different place. She's the wrong race to be accepted. She had the wrong thinking. Man, if I can just figure a couple of things out, my life would make sense. That's what she's indicating to him. Hey, since you're here and talking to me, what about this? What about this? She's trying to shuffle the pieces in her life to see if she can grab onto something that'll give her hope. But ultimately, she also had the wrong theology. When the Messiah comes, he'll say, I'm right. That's what she's telling him. She doesn't know that she's speaking to the Messiah at that moment. Wrong place, wrong gender, wrong history, wrong time, wrong race, wrong thinking, wrong theology. She is lonely. She is hurting. She has a chip on her shoulder. And what does Jesus do? He meets her at the well. Do you know that? 
She's not searching for him. Jesus comes and meets her right in that place. Now, I don't know who you are today, what it is that's going on in your life, but you may think I've made some choices or I've got some thinking or I'm feeling separated or I'm destitute or I'm hurting. You might have, according to the people in your life, a chip on your shoulder, okay? Do you know that Jesus can still meet with you? His desire is to meet with you right where you're at. He meets her right there. He meets you where you're at. But the second thing I want you to see in here is that Jesus will overflow and satisfy our spiritual hunger. This is significant. We're just at the 30,000 foot level. We've read all of the the verses, but I want you to, to think about what it is that he is actually telling her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Jesus transitions the discussion that they're having from a practical discussion right there to a metaphor. He begins to share a metaphor of what it is that he wants her to wrap her mind around. Uh, He uses the picture of a well. Uh, I would like us to, to think about it this way. Jesus says that there actually are wells that many people go to, established wells that they go to in order to receive water, but it is actually not meeting their need. If we were to switch that metaphor and, and just use our own, it, we could use the picture of fertilizer. Information and the things that we run to today are like fertilizer. Uh, if we have uh, fertilizer, this field has been uh, fertilized, and look at the the joyous plants that are there with just a little bit of fertilizer at the right time and water, they are well taken care of. They will flourish. They will grow. But have you ever seen a place that has had too much fertilizer? Here's an example. On the left-hand side is good grass. On the right-hand side, it's not because it has not been taken care of. It's been over-fertilized. Too much fertilizer on that it actually caused it to die, to choke out, to actually lose its life. Too much of what we think is a good thing. Why do I use that illustration? Why do we switch there? Can I tell you something? There are some of you right now that you've been searching every single morning. You turn it on. You look it up. You engage with things that are wells that our culture goes to. A little bit of fertilizer that if we get just a little bit of information, it can actually help us understand our world. But let me say this, and we'll just let it soak in the room. Some of you have been sitting in too much fertilizer. And the result is your life has been choked out. You're not happier. You aren't better to the people around you. You don't show show hope to the world. You don't feel excited for the next day. You don't anticipate what God could possibly do. You actually feel your life beginning to drain rather than to begin to fill in with potential. We're going back to established wells that aren't meeting the need rather than running to the one who says he is the source. I want you to see something that's really profound. In the book of Isaiah, uh, some have said that Jesus comes on the scene and for three years he just fulfills Isaiah chapter after chapter after chapter. There is one chapter that Jesus uses as an outline for his discussion with this woman and he proceeds to fulfill it every single verse. I'm going to read all six of them to you. Six verses. It's a song of praise talking about the day the Messiah comes. It says, on that day, now he's speaking to the woman, remember, but she knew this verse. On that day, that's the day that I see the Messiah, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, although you were angry with me because of sin, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. How cool is that? 
Indeed, God is my salvation. By the way, that's actually a Hebrew name. Indeed, God is my salvation. Uh, the, the term that we would use to say that Hebrew word is Jesus. Indeed, Jesus. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from springs of salvation, and on that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his name, make his work known among the people, declare that his name is exalted. Isn't that exactly what she did? She meets Jesus, he tells her that her sins are forgiven. Instead of receiving uh, condemnation, she receives all of this freedom, and he's telling her about springs of salvation that she runs and shouts to other people, not just to Israel, It says, but sing to the Lord, verse 5, for all that he has done. Glorious things. Let it be known throughout the earth. That means not just in Israel. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you and in his greatness. Here's Jesus fulfilling that chapter absolutely perfectly in her presence. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that has come for you, and I'm giving you living water. I remember sharing with you a picture uh, a short while ago of the difference between uh, cattlemen and, and keeping cattle here in the United States and what they've done in Australia. In the United States, one of the big things that we have to do is we got to make sure that the cattle that we have are our cattle, right? And so besides using brands, we use fences. A lot of property gets fenced in in order for cattle to be released in there. And so to make sure that our cattle stay in our area and that they don't go beyond our boundaries, we put up fences. Another family member, another fence. Going into a city area, you're going to see more fences. We build fences over and over and over again in order to contain those creatures. And if they begin to press up against them, uh, they'll knock them down. We get frustrated that those fences are falling. We build more fences. In Australia, they have so much wide open space. They're like, well, we, it would cost so much to fence all of the property that we actually have. It would be an exorbitant amount of money. So you want to know what they do? Instead of building fences, they build wells. They have a well of water. And instead of going to keep the, the cattle in, the cattle actually come to those places where there is water. And they come for that place that is refreshed. So they gather the cattle through wells rather than fences. Satisfaction draws those cattle in rather than fences keeping them in there. This is the difference between religion and knowing Jesus. We in our nature, we want to make sure that we keep all of our people in the right place, right? So we begin to build fences and oh no, some of those people are going to get away from our thinking or get away from our tribe or get away from our collective ideas. And so we put up a fence and we add another fence and we try to channel them with fences. We're constantly trying to hem people in. And what Jesus says is, drop the fences, sink a well. Cause them to be drawn to me. If I am lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. Jesus will satisfy our spiritual hunger, and that satisfaction will cause others to be drawn in. But a third thing we see here is that Jesus will challenge your thinking. I want you to remember as we walked through this that the woman is not entirely wrong. But because of that, it left her entirely stuck. Not entirely wrong, but therefore entirely stuck. She's actually telling Jesus what the Bible says. She's actually telling Jesus 
some scriptural thoughts. Now remember, her people had been told that they cannot go to Jerusalem. She could not participate. So she had been cut off from that source of spiritual strength. And because these are troubling situations she was in, she begins to quote scripture and start to make sense of her reality by grabbing onto things that were not entirely true. Jesus wasn't going to come there to establish the kingdom. And yet she begins to quote scripture or look at things historically and with partial truths, she actually ultimately ends up seeing something that ultimately was true. The woman believed that the Messiah would come and would announce at that place the kingdom and what is happening. She's actually sitting there with the Messiah who is announcing to her the kingdom. She's not entirely wrong. But Jesus looks at her and says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. He actually says, actually, Scripture says something different. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just worship me, we'll get all things right. We take a ton of time trying to convince others of our thinking. We'll grab little scriptures. We have a thought in our mind, and we try to find some scriptural foothold to be able to prove that what we're thinking is right, rather than asking God what it is that we should be thinking Well, Jesus sits down and says, I've come all this way. I want to be able to point out, yes, I'm here, and there is a way that you could spin this that I'm fulfilling what you thought was true. He says, I'm actually here to have you set aside all of that wrong thinking and just put your entire hope in me. Why is that important? Right now, I believe it is actually possible maybe not in this room, but it's possible that you could out there run into a Christian who has thoughts about what's going on in the world today that are different than yours. It's going to be strange when you run into them, okay? So here's the question. What happens when you have two people who claim faith, who have ideas that aren't just different, they're incongruent. They cannot be compatible. One has to be right and one has to be wrong. How is it that we can be friends? What do we actually do in this season where we have so much inside of us and some of us are grabbing at Scripture, some of us are reading Scripture. There are many thoughts that are out there, not just one or two. There are hundreds. What do we do? The key thing that I would have you understand is if we come together around the book, we say, whatever you say that I will do, that's the place we start. We worship Jesus and take the next available step. If we will focus on Christ and worshiping him, we'll get each other right. Do you know that? That's what will happen. I have here a bag I forgot to point out to first service that this is actually from LifeSource. I think that's an appropriate bag, isn't it? Maybe not for church. I have here one uh, wiffle ball. It's actually possible, if this plate is an average life, for you to be able to kind of control the goings-on in your own mind, okay? If you're having trouble even with that, we have people who can help you, okay? We have some folks, but I would say this. On average, if we're just trying to control our own life, uh, we can kind of make sense of what we think, what we want to think about, who we are. But Scripture is really plain. It says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire and will war against all sound reason. That means that if you find yourself separating from everyone around, you just don't want to hear what other people have to say. And even if they say something wise, eventually you'll begin to war against what's wise because you want to stay right where you are. That's no way to live. In fact, that's not a scriptural way to live. But I want you to imagine for a moment 
if we have a bunch of people what do we have now and besides a tangled mess you get a bunch of people in the room if you get five christians in a room you have six opinions really fast don't you all right? And, and how do you begin to move? Now your life begins to change. What happens if we begin to go somewhere together? And I've used this illustration multiple times. If we, use, if we uh, try to go someplace, all of a sudden, this group is starting to head off the edge. So we make a correction for them, right? And now, oh no, this group is starting to go off the edge. And we make a correction for them, and this group starts going off the edge. In fact, we can't go anywhere or do anything of significance without worrying that somebody is going to fall off the edge. We're constantly making corrections for this statement and that statement, this lifestyle and that one, these choices and another. And we're always pointing the finger at somebody else. You need to correct for me or I'm out. I'm leaving. You ever been in that spot? So what is the answer? What do we actually do? We have a moment here. Jesus says, if you would worship me and lift me up, everything else will fall into place. If you will lift me up right now, he says, that I, you don't have to worry about where everybody else is going to be. They're all going to fall into the right place, and you can go wherever you want to go. If you will put your eyes on me, you will focus on me, I will cause everything else to fall into the appropriate place. Do you believe it? What God is asking from us, what Jesus is asking in this passage is he says, I know that you say this and others say this. And he says, and, and I want you to know that there are some areas where you're wrong. Here's what scripture actually says. And then he turns from her right or wrong discussion to, but let me tell you what we really want. Let me tell you what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit actually want. We just want you to worship us, and we will take our children, our family, safely through. Do you believe it? You get your eyes on us. You focus on what we actually said, what we actually want you to do. Our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. So you better cling to us. Hold on to my hand, and I will walk you safely through. He tells her, if you'll put your faith in me, that I will actually change the way that you experience life. You will go from this dead, forsaken, lonely well to a place where there is a wellspring within you wherever you go. It'll well up to eternal life. There'll be a transformation that happens to you. And it starts by just worshiping me, and I will help you take the next logical step. Jesus will challenge your thinking. I want us to be really clear. It is possible for you to have some wrong thinking in this season. Just because Jesus meets you at the intersection of our deep need and our misguided theology does not make us right, all right? He might meet you in our deep need and misguided theology. Jesus can still meet you right there. It doesn't make us right. It just makes him gracious. Jesus is gracious. There are statements that will be made. There are things that will be done in the name of the Lord that God will overlook because he's a good God. But let's minimize that by focusing on what he said and worshiping Jesus rather than our own opinion. Amen? Jesus will challenge our thinking. If he's not challenging your thinking in this day, you're not searching his heart. If you haven't been challenged, then only your ways and your thoughts have risen to the top. Final thing. 
And this is where we run into the disciples at the very end. Jesus causes his followers to bear fruit. Now, remember, the disciples come back, and they see that he's with a woman, and they're looking at each other, and their eyes are giant, okay? He's just come from this wonderful moment of service. Here they are walking across. They've gone to get food. They come back, and here's Jesus at the well having this discussion, and they're looking at him going, does he know that's a woman? Does he know what he's doing? And in their minds, they actually shared this so that John could write it down later. Later, They say, in their minds, somebody should ask her, what do you want? And somebody should be asking him, what are you doing? But nobody says a thing. They begin to have a discussion. Jesus tells them they're not really, he's not really hungry. They're wondering if he's already been given food. And I asked you to think, what, what do you actually think of the disciples? Jesus tells them, I want you to see that there's a day coming where the plowman overcomes the reaper. It's a promise out of Amos where when the Messiah comes, there's going to be so much fruitfulness that actually one person's going to plant the crop just shows up that day. They harvest it and the plowman's already coming back behind them to replant the field. There is enough food and enough provision for everybody. And Jesus says, spiritually speaking, the fields are white for harvest. There's something about to happen. You're not even going to believe it. We're in Samaria and faith is about to pop out of the ground. Now when we think about the disciples though, we read this and quite often we think, there those boneheads go again, right? Did you find that in your own heart? I do not believe that the reason that we see these episodes from the disciples recorded here, that the reason that those are written is to make them look stupid. I believe that the reason it was written here, are here are some good guys that have committed. They've walked away from everything in order to follow Jesus. And he's trying to highlight some things for them along the way. I think this moment is written to highlight what happens when a satisfied life meets a messy world. And he looks at the disciples and says, you get ready. You thought we were just on a walk. You thought you were just out shopping for food. I've been on the move. And here are some guys who didn't see any difference around them. They just saw the world hurting. They saw a place that seemed forsaken. But Jesus makes the offer and everything rises. Satisfied life met a hungry world. The Samaritan said, we responded to the phrase, he told me everything I ever knew, but now we see he's actually the savior of the world. Uh, there was a man, um, Murdo Ewan McDonald. He was Scottish. If you want to double check that, just check the name. Murdo McDonald should be enough to let you know that. And when he was a young man, he was called into ministry. At the age of uh, 26, he had been preaching, uh, but it was World War II. The island was under attack. All of the young men were going away to war. And he said, I, I don't feel it's right to leave these young guys out there by themselves. Somebody needs to be there to encourage them. So he joins the fighting ranks to go out and, uh, and encourage these men. And at first they stuck him in a chaplaincy. And he said, well, but all these men are going to the front and they're dying without somebody to encourage them. Put me in the fighting corps. And so he joins this fighting corps of men from Scotland and uh, he ends up getting captured. He's stuck in a place called Stalag Luft III. We have a picture here of it. This is actually a, re, uh, um, a model of the camp, and eventually there would be a fence that would run down the middle dividing the uh, English uh, side from the American side of that encampment. 
Murdo was uh, so encouraging on the British side that they removed him. They didn't want the men to be that excited, so they stuck him in with the American ranks. Uh, at the end of the war, he had done such a good job of encouraging people who were prisoners of war that he actually got a bronze star from the United States for his work encouraging those men in that camp. On the day that, uh, of D-Day, somebody on the British side had been able to smuggle in and put together a transistor radio, and they had received the transmission that not only D-Day had started, but that the, uh, the Americans and the Allied forces had actually had success. Somebody comes running to the fence, and uh, at this time, because he was a chaplain on one side, the chaplain from the other side was allowed to speak to him only a little bit. They spoke in Gaelic because none of the, the German officers could actually understand Gaelic. And so he came to the fence, and he just shared with them two phrases, a couple of short words in Gaelic. He announced to him at the fence, Murdo, they have come. The war's over. Now, I knew that the German lines had not been able to advance that information, and so um, McDonald goes back into the camp. He tried to keep his walk slow. He was sharing this with a, a group of uh, students at a college. Um, he says he tried to keep his walk slow. He gets back in. He closes the door to his barracks, but then he announces to all the people, they're here. They have arrived. We're to be set free. And he says they tried not to shout, but all of a sudden, throughout all of the barracks, they started shouting, and men started laughing and cheering. And the next thing he said was groups of prisoners, starved people, people who had not been treated very well, are hugging each other. They're jumping up and down inside the barracks. It spilled out. They spilled out of the doors, and they're rolling around outside in the encampment uh, field that was right outside there. They're rolling around on the ground laughing and shouting and cheering. And he says the, the guards thought that we had gone crazy, that something crazy crazy had happened. Two days later, they awoke in that camp, and the doors had been left open, and the guards had walked away, and they indeed had received true news. They were free. The war was over. Murdo talks about that later, and he says, good news will make you forget your circumstances because of the truth. Can I ask you something? Have you been focused more on your circumstances in this season? Is it possible that the people around you need some good news? Jesus announces in this chapter that if you will just believe in me, if you will trust me, if you will put your faith in me, if you will worship me, that there'll be a wellspring of life that comes up inside you and you can announce to the people around him, these circumstances will not prevail. This is not the final step. Do you know that, folks? When scripture talks about birth pangs and the, the process that we're going through, yes, things will get harder. Yes, there is more that we have to go through. But the result at the end is not total destruction. The result is the kingdom of God. Do you believe that Jesus is in control of history? He says he is. He says, you worship me and take the next step that I guide you in, and I will take care of the rest. And it'll be a wellspring of life. You will be satisfied, settled, and it will spill out to the people around you. That's what we're calling you to consider. Will you walk with Christ as he makes a difference in your life? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us this morning to be those people that have a message, just like the woman at the well. 
the first glimpse that she gets of Jesus, you actually tell her every single thing that happened in her life. Father, that's our experience. The first moment that we encounter you, you're doing business with our own soul. But the next moment that we hear from her, she is shouting to everyone around that she's been set free. Could this be the savior of the world? And all of the community around her is blessed. Father, I pray that that would be our process as well. First, do business in our own hearts. If we have not been living settled, satisfied, if there's not a wellspring of joy in us, cause us to return to the well of your son rather than the destructive old wells in our culture. Father, help us to find our comfort and our security, our joy in you, and then cause it to spill out and impact our culture. Help us to share good news that changes our circumstances. Pray that you would help us to do that effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, I thought it would be fitting to just sing this chorus together. Sing this. I will wait for you. I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. Yes, I will wait for you. I will. for being here. Pastor Justin's going to stick around if you want to uh, come up for prayer at the end. Yeah. Thank you, B. Yeah, you guys are dismissed. <laughs>